You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasse, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you shoot to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. How are you? I thought you were going to say uh, shoe shopping. But shoe shopping, yeah. I know. I'm anticipating things I'm going to say, and it's boggling my mind. Sometimes I actually don't know how I get through an hour of talking to people, because as soon as I'm off air, I, um, you know, I can't put two syllables together a lot of times. So anyways, yeah, welcome to our show this morning. Yes, well, it's it's good to be with you, Kathy. Uh, is it? Um, yes, for <laughs> sure. The day off with a chuckle, right? <laughs> exactly. I can always count on that. Count there you go. That so always puts me in a, in a good mood to. And we're not even gonna we're not even gonna tape over this, right? We're just gonna go as is. Oh no, this was great. This, this was is good. Great. I'm, gonna go <laughs> this st- I'm not starting over. This is reality. So, this is reality. Exactly. So <laughs> at least once in a way, we have to try this once in a way, but. In any case, I'm keeping very well. I was just um, reflecting over the last couple of uh, of evenings. Uh, I've had such a busy time uh, with with work, the way things are going. But uh, I feel fortunate that I've actually um, been able to make some uh, time um, and think about myself in terms of doing some exercising. Oh, there we go. Here we go. Finally, just like me, just like you, I struggle with moods too. So don't worry about that. <laughs> now, so with um, with exercising, so I managed to over the last couple nights uh, go for a bit of a walk, and for me, I was able to get my ten thousand steps in for the last oh, for few 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 days. Anyway, uh, I go at least once or twice, uh, three times a week. Uh, I try to do long walks in the evening. I think for that, for me, the evening time is the best. Uh, it's, it's typically cooler. Yeah. Uh, of course, now we're, we're recording this in the middle of, uh, in the middle of September, but uh, who knows what the weather will be when, uh, when, when this program airs. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's important to, to have that balance. And, and don't you find that with um, working more at home, I actually read an article on this, um, a big, there's no separation of church and state, right? You're at home working. Yeah. And I think like personally, there's no stop time. Like there's no definite, okay, it's five o'clock. I'm leaving, which is, which is, uh, you know, yeah, there's, the no crossing. Commute. There's, there's no commute to deal with. Going no, but there's no end of the day either. So there's no yeah. definitive end to the work week. Yes. And, and for a lot of us, I would imagine, you know, not everybody's fortunate to have a designated work area at home. And so everything kind of just is, is, is in a place where, you know, you can easily access your computer when sometimes you yeah. turn it off. Or, it or, or the other, like the other thing is true. Alone, is, you, 
let alone, uh, your, let alone your cell phone that's constantly pinging. Constantly going. And, yeah. and not only, like, are there not, like, parameters to your work day. So when you're talking about, like, you know, working at home, I have to do a lot of my work out of my bedroom, which I know is not um, uh, ideal. But also, you know, I don't think, oh, that's my dog. He's, he's with us here. I don't know if you heard him. He's, he's doing a little bit of a line. Um, so he's here with me. Well, he wanted to get on the show, huh? I guess so. So this is a home, <laughs> a home thing. Um, but I've also noticed that people will actually call past five, six, seven o'clock at night just to connect and get some things done. So the workday is really starting to mesh in with evening time. And I think that, that that lack of boundary is not a good thing. I really don't think. Yes. Yeah. And it I'm is. a victim of it as, as you know, I, I will work till, um, you know, seven, eight o'clock, sometimes nine o'clock at night. And that's not good. I don't think this is a healthy benefit of um, um, what's going on. This is definitely something that can affect everybody's mental health. And that's, Sort of going back to my point of needing that ex, uh, time for exercise, for example, or anything that allows you to, to you know, switch off and focus on yourself, whether that's, you know, um, doing something creative like drawing or different artwork or playing music to... So you're walking. Yeah, exactly. So Right? So that's your end of the day. You've made this um, commitment to walk at night. And so... I think the hardest challenge for that, for you and for everybody, is, is sticking to it. Yes. But I, um, I, this is something I think we need to, to all be a little bit more aware of because um, it can really bother sleep patterns. Right. I think we, you know, this, uh, we just talked about um, how great people are adapting, but part of the adaption too, we got to keep readapting. So we got to, you know, we got to make sure that we have boundaries um, or, or I think it's just going to start imploding on us. We need to have, you know, and, and the other thing too is that people that you, you know, for the past six months I've had, uh, well, my kids are now out of the house back at school and everything, but, you know, for a good solid four months I've had the kids with me, a lot of the kids, well, two of the kids with me. And then, um, you know, my husband's been at home the majority of time for the last six mm-hmm. months. So that dynamic is much different. So, um, yeah, I, I think good for you to walk. And I think that's, you know, we all need to make commitment to cues like that to, um, to really, you know, keep on top of our mental space. And, and obviously, I think, I think we've, we've obviously touched on this but in the past, but it's important to have that routine at a fixed time that you know that the only reason why you're not able to do something is because it's is because you've decided not to do it. Yes. Not because, oh, something came up and it, it was pushed aside. Mm-hmm. That, that uh, designated time is, is for you. You need to decide how you want to do it. And, and I think you have to tell other people as well. And I know I'm guilty of contacting you at, you know, at nighttime too. Um, but I mean, maybe it's, you've got to even say to coworkers or people that, you know, with the ability to jump on the computer and on Zoom at any time of the day, um, you know, you have to sort of take it into your own hands that, okay, you know what, it's it's shutdown time. Because if your brain is going, you know, you're on these computers and you're thinking and you're working and, uh, you know, and the pressures of work too, right? So work can be stressful. You're not, you're not giving yourself any sort of a mental break. Um, So important, really important. It is. 
So I've, I've, with this, this has been a great conversation. I'm actually going to defer um, what I was going to talk about to another show. So um, we'll just go right into today's show, and I'm going to introduce you to our guest, uh, Melissa Hollis, and she is an MA, an RDN, and a CDE, and she'll tell you maybe what all those mean, and is a nationally recognized nutrition expert with 20-plus years of experience helping kids, adults, and communities live healthier lives. As a registered dietitian and mom, she's passionate about making good nutrition easy, tasty, and fun. She is the founder of the first kids nutrition mega site, and it's called Super Kids Nutrition, and it provides expert resources to help grow healthy communities. Melissa is also the creator of the Super Crew, who get their powers from healthy plant-based foods and motivate young children to develop healthy eating habits from an early age. With a strong commitment to living and teaching sustainability, her activities with the Super Crew promote green choices. Super Kids Nutrition partners with the American Institute for Cancer Research on the Healthy Kids Today campaign, and with her over 5,000 schools in the U.S., providing menu activities and parent newsletters. Melissa addresses nutrition concerns for adults uh, from how much coffee is safe to which foods to eat for brain health, and she has her own website, which is melissahealthyliving.com. So we will provide you with all of these great resources that Melissa has for us. Um, very knowledgeable lady, very wonderful person to talk to. And so some of the things that we'll be talking about are what are some tips for transitioning to a plant-based diet? Why is it important for cancer prevention for children to be on a plant-based diet? And how can we get kids into the kitchen to learn how to prepare healthy meals? It's a fun conversation. It's a great topic. And uh, we'll be back, everybody, to talk with Melissa in just a few minutes.
You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned, this show is being taped, so unfortunately, no opportunity for calling in. Please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on all three places. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. So we align on many levels. Um, you are very much involved in uh, prevention, in plant-based nutrition, in the cancer space. So I want to make sure that we are covering all of these passions of yours because they are so admirable. Um, but let's start off with why you feel it's so important in any domain of prevention to have a plant-based diet? And, and maybe before that, uh, you know, do you have a, a backstory that got you to this place? Well, I, I've always been um, interested in more healthy, organic um, living, you know, eating more whole foods. And I think that actually started probably in my, in my teenage years. I had um, a lot of food allergies, so mm-hmm. um, including to pork. And so I just started experimenting with more beans. My mom was just an amazing cook. I mean, I remember, and we're going back 40 years, her cooking millet. And I just don't think a lot of people ate, you know, oil Mm -hmm. seeds and and those kind of whole grains. And then in college, I got my first um, newsletter from the American Institute for Cancer Research. And I just kind of became this groupie. I loved how they talked about fruits and vegetables and whole grains and all of their colors. And, you know, they, they find this cutting edge um, cancer research that really talks about how people can make choices that can reduce their chances of developing cancer. And that it was very, it was an empowering message. You know, years ago, you used to hear more, um, you know, eat, eat, substitute this for that. And their message was choose more of these delicious, abundant, colorful foods. And I think it really resonated with me. And that's probably how one of the reasons I began my journey. And then, of course, I did teach for close to 20 years functional foods, which really talks um, about the benefits of whole foods and their phytonutrients, you know, down to their cellular level and how they protect DNA. And this is, you know, before we really knew about blueberries and brain health and visual acuity in the public, you know, it was more in um, academia. So, I think that sparked a really great interest in, in um, plant-based eating. And then lastly, which is, which is um, interesting, is when I was 18, I had read about how we were destroying the rainforest and that many of the drugs that were used to treat cancer were actually discovered in the rainforest. Mm -hmm. And they talked um, a little bit about aspirin coming from a tree. You know, now it's, of course, pharmaceutically made, but that's um, where they discovered it. And I thought, wow, I I actually did love beef. And I thought, you know what? That's one sacrifice I can make. um, And and I can make that. And it will be a little hard for me, so it will mean something um, to help save the rainforest and potentially, you know, help, save people's lives, not just through, you know, um, environmental consequences, but the fact that some of these drugs that we would discover wouldn't be destroyed. 
It all comes into alignment, doesn't it? When you're when you're looking for the greater good, you touch on all aspects of a really a holistic life. Um, where have we gone wrong in your estimation? You, you talk about teaching so many years ago about functional foods and healthy foods, yet the the progression has not been in that direction. You know, the the, the sad diet, the standard American diet. It, it just doesn't even align with the basic outlines of the AIRC. So yeah. what happened? Well, I think... I think, you know, there, there are, of course, we're all, we're all making progress every day, but I think, you know, it's the hustle and bustle of life and people don't realize sometimes that, you know, it takes a lot of planning to eat, to eat healthy. It's not that healthy eating in itself is difficult or more expensive. It's just like everything else in life. You have to plan to get to work on time. You need to have your dry cleaning done or your laundry washed. You, you need to know, you know, especially uh, in LA, <laughs> where mm-hmm. the best traffic route, right? And I think people think like healthy eating is just going to like show up and appear on their table sometimes. <laughs> and so, you know, as a dietitian, I really work with the meal planning aspect of it. You know, if I'm working with a senior and they say they're just so tired by the time dinner comes around and they want to grab something quick, you know, then we talk about things like making overnight oats. So they wake up, they eat breakfast and right after breakfast, they can cook. You know, if it's a busy mom, it's about bulk cooking, you know, which could be something like, I mean, you know, not that I'm advocating for more TV, especially during quarantine, but on Saturday, my daughter and I put on Harry Potter on my computer in the kitchen and we cooked for two and a half hours with that in the background. And it flew by and we had like three days of food prep done because I just didn't want to sit more. You know, we're always trying to move more. And um, it, was, it was fun. You know, we've already seen it. So it's not like you have to pay super close attention. But it really comes down to planning. And it's not just about setting goals. It's about that, that process to make those goals a success. And again, um, you know, scheduling it in so it doesn't become a disappearing intention, you know, that just mm-hmm. kind of drifts away into the good intention abyss. <laughs> that's a good, good phrase, disappearing intention. And that's really what it's all about, right? They're trying to get into shape. We make plans to go to the gym. We have a project. We make plans to, to time it in. We go to work. We, you know, it is about in course, somehow, some way, nutrition has fallen out of a routine of, of a daily, you know, the daily basis of our lives. And, you know, I think it's starting to come, as you said, we are trying to get better, but it seems that it is starting to come full circle because the rise in these chronic diseases are, are really causing people to pause and say, what is going on? Is, is that what you're seeing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I just did a talk recently. It was a 30-day vegan challenge, and I'm not vegan. I'm mostly plant-based. And, um, you know, a lot of people were just so interested, and I haven't seen that in the past. And, you know, my whole philosophy is I try to meet people where where they're at, right? So, you know, if somebody's drinking, you know, a gallon of lemonade a day, I'm not going to be like, never have lemonade again. You know, Mm -hmm. it's small incremental steps. So it could be, well, if you're, you know, making um, ground burgers, right, with ground meat or chicken or turkey, maybe subbing in mushrooms for half of that meat. You know, you've got to 
really just kind of work with people to make sure that they're making small changes and reinforce to the public, like, it's not an all or nothing. You know, small changes can make a huge difference. If we move a little more and we eat a little less, which is what um, the American Institute for Cancer Research always says, you know, we can decrease cancers by nearly 50%. And I, I just think that we fall into this fad diet approach of all or nothing, which causes this cycle of weight gain, weight loss, more weight gain, weight loss, more weight gain. So over time, people are getting heavier. And, you know, instead of just having a, a realistic, personalized approach to what good nutrition means for each person as an individual. I mean, I don't always buy, you know, the whole cabbage. I buy the shredded cabbage in the bag, you know? Yeah. I open up a can of refried beans and a jar of salsa. I add in some fresh cilantro. But there are a lot of times where I'm cooking and making healthy whole foods that are not from scratch. And I think the perception is, you know, everything has to be done 100% right mm-hmm. or it can't be done right at all. Now, and I agree, I agree so wholeheartedly. And what I think this perception is of it, it's got to be, I don't know if it's the perception that it's got to be done perfectly or that change needs to happen right away, which is the society we're in now, right? Like instant gratification. And yeah. this is putting so much stress on people and it's an all or none approach. And you really have to get into um, the joy of cooking and the joy of, of eating and, and the meal and the preparation preparation that seems to have been lost out of this whole process. How do you bring that back into the kitchen? Well, the first thing, I mean, with me personally, I, I do like to cook. I also work a lot, right? So I try to do a mix of foods from scratch. Like, so for example, I recently made these, um, I'm always trying to perfect my black bean beet burger recipe. It's like <laughs> always evolving. And recently I switched from brown rice to oats. And I'm like, I, don't, I just don't have the time to like hand roll each burger and then flatten it out and then cook them, you know, four or five at a time on a grill pan. Cause I like to bulk cook and then stick things in the freezer, label mm-hmm. it and pull it out during busy work days. So now I'm into making food that you can just cook in a huge sheet pan. <laughs> so I made this huge sheet pan of black bean burgers. I mean, for years, Wendy's had those square burgers. So what's wrong with a square bean <laughs> yeah. burger, right? And then, you know, once I bake it, I took out the pizza roller, right, cutter, and just rolled them into squares. And it, it cut the time down by like an hour. So, you know, you can cook healthy, but it's really about these time-saving strategies. I also love kitchen gadgets. I know for some people they collect dust, but you know, a food processor quickly chopping or mincing, you know, mushrooms or garlic or onions. I mean, you're, you're shaving like 25 minutes off food prep. Yeah. And that's, you know, this all or nothing. And you know, nobody has to be perfect. Your diet doesn't have to be perfect. You can have a few cheap things, but you're going for the bulk, right? You're going for the, the, the majority of your diet to be healthy. Yeah. So when you're, when you're working with somebody, how do you set up their plate? So, um, you know, obviously it's more plant forward. So at least, you know, half of it is, is going to be, um, you know, vegetables for the most part. Um, and then a quarter lean protein, Um, And then, you know, fruit, I I usually don't think of it on the plate. I kind of think of it as dessert on the Mm -hmm. side. So typically, you know, you would, if you're looking at my plate, it would be 
you know, a quarter lean protein, a quarter whole grains, um, and then your, you know, quarter fruit and vegetables. But I really like to load up on those vegetables and think of fruit as dessert. And mm -hmm. I found that a lot of my clients, if they eat a serving of fruit at every meal, they don't have those sweet cravings. They're not, you know, wanting that late night snacking or the ref or pretzels or refined flours like in the afternoon. Um, and I think, you know, thinking of fruit as this, like, it finishes off your plate. It helps. It's helped a lot of my clients. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, there's some clients who don't um, struggle with sweet cravings. They're more savory or greasy or fried. And then that, that's a different approach. It's like if you're having a plant-based meal, you know, top it with roasted, lightly salted cashews, you know, making sure that you're getting that umami flavor, like a combination of Bragg's liquid amino acid, like a soy sauce and um, a balsamic vinegar. It really um, gives it that umami flavor and mm -hmm. they have to make sure they're having all their tastes in order to feel satisfied. Because the bottom line is food should be enjoyed and it should taste great. So, you know, I'm not going to force people to eat broccoli. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's actually a, a genetic uh, predetermination if you like that or not, right? So mm -hmm. it's about figuring out what you like that tastes healthy. Now, what about dealing with people who literally have food fear? Um, I know in practice, I come across this many times, um, especially when working with cancer patients, they're paralyzed because they're so concerned about not eating, uh, the, or not eating the wrong food and not sure what the right food is. Do you have an approach for dealing with this paralysis when you're, you know, when you open your fridge door? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I do, um, when working with clients is first I find out I have like a whole questionnaire to find out what, what their um, approach is to learning. You know, some people just want to be told what to do. And if you just tell them, no, you know, soy is actually okay and it's healthy and this is mm -hmm. the form you should eat it in, where other people want to know all the science behind it. And, you know, other, other people just want to know how to eat it. So it's really finding out first how they want um, to be educated. And that kind of... That way, when you're approaching it, you know you're not doing it wrong, right? Because it's, it's, you know, um, using their kind of mindset and their philosophy for learning. The other thing is, um, for food phobias in general, it's always good if, you know, you, you say, okay, you want to try this new food, and you pair it with something that they already like that they know is good for them. But I guess, you know, I mean, the biggest things that I get asked for that are um, flax and soy, and a lot of times it's just... Unfortunately, there's so much misinformation that recirculates, you know, on the internet um, for, for really for decades. And sometimes it's from, you know, an original study that was done poorly or done in mice where they, you know, overloaded a certain phytonutrient and people keep on extrapolating that mm -hmm. and then misinterpreting it incorrectly. So I feel like, you know, if I can simplify the science for my clients and really show them the literature um, and, and, you know, summarize it in lay terms that, that alleviates a lot of those fears. It's so true. The science can be, no matter what question you ask, you can get an answer for it in research if you look hard enough. Um, what would you consider your key foundational or functional foods that you encourage uh, your clients to, to incorporate when they're transitioning more to a plant-based diet? 
Oh, well, absolutely beans. I mean, well, first off, I'm crazy about beans. <laughs> I probably eat beans every day. And if so, certain clients don't have problems with that, there's enzymes that you can take. You know, it's slow, um, a gradual increase. Of course, there's always people who have, you know, irritable bowel syndrome, and I, I have to kind of work with the dose that they're allowed, you know, that they can tolerate. But um, for me, black beans, I mean, we're always talking about acai, which I do like, but it has to get chipped from so far away. And of course, you know, that leaves a carbon footprint. And yet black beans, you know, we can get, they're grown in the U.S. or Canada probably. You know, they're not this food that has to be imported. And they have just as many antioxidants and phytonutrients. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's really about looking at color. I mean, if you look at plant-based foods, every um, plant-based food, can have you know tons of, of phytonutrients and there are the compounds the plant compounds that give each food its unique color but also its health benefit so I try to say hey just aim for like four to five different colors of plant-based foods and you build you build from there so um, but definitely you know beans because they're such a great source of protein and fiber and you know it, it, we just as a, as a nation, and I'm sure it's an issue in Canada and really in the world for, for U.S. adults and kids, we're grossly and inadequately, um, our, our intake is so poor on fiber. I mean, mm -hmm. there was an N. Uh, Haynes study which really looks at, you know, um, different dietary habits, and they found that, you know, 95% of um, Americans aren't meeting their fiber needs. And mm -hmm. fiber, of course, you just can't like take a supplement, you know, you really need to get it with its whole, the whole, all the other nutrients that go along with that food. I mean, there's thousands of phytonutrients and these have anti-inflammatory effects, you know, decreased dif different risks of cancer can help lower cholesterol. Um, so yeah, so aiming for, you know, starting out with four to five different colors of plant-based foods is really helpful. Yeah, I the the fiber thing, I wrote about that a year or two ago saying it's this is going to be the nutrient that, that people are really going to start focusing on. And it's a challenge when people are trying to do intermittent fasting or calorie control. I find getting the amount of fiber in a diet is is very on a good on a on a on a good day is difficult. But when you're trying to eat within a window, you really do have to pay attention to that. And you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's for the microbiome, uh, for cholesterol, all those other things that you talked about. It's so key to get that worked into your diet. Melissa, we're going to take a quick break here, and then I want to spend the second half of our show talking about uh, the program that you've put together, this awesome program to work with kids in the kitchen. So everybody, we'll be back in a couple of minutes. There is a truth older than the ages. There is a promise of things yet to come. There is one born for our salvation, Jesus. There is a light that overwhelms the darkness. There is a kingdom that forever reigns. There is freedom from the chains that bind us.
You are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are talking with Melissa Hallis, and we're talking about functional foods. We're talking about transitioning to a plant-based diet. And I think the reason for it was laid out quite nicely in the first half. Melissa, you have founded Super Kids Nutrition. So this is uh, something that I really want people to get a grasp of. It's a beautiful program, and it's vital in the area of, of cancer prevention, but in the area of disease prevention as a whole, I believe. Can you tell us about the program? Yeah, so I started um, Super Kids Nutrition 14 years ago. Um, I was a new mom. You know, I had been a dietitian um, at close to 10 years at that point, and I couldn't find anything online on kids' nutrition. That's hard to believe today because it's so saturated, you know, mm-hmm. online. But there wasn't anything, and it had been a while since grad school, and I wasn't sure, oh, my gosh, pretty soon I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be introducing my baby's first foods. And so I could only find one hospital website that had an article on it, but you had to like go through multiple departments and layers. It was really hard to find that internal link. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to start the first um, dietitian based kids nutrition website. And so we launched within a couple years, we were listed on the USDA um, as a, as a credible website. We started partnering with schools and it's grown. I mean, we have over 6,000 content items. We have, um, tons of activities that are printable from coloring sheets to cooking with your kids. And um, we have these super group characters, which were actually um, focus group tested through a Center for Disease Control study from ages um, 3 to 11. They're multicultural, and they get their powers from different color plant-based foods. So, you know, Andy, one of the characters, you know, if he eats carrots, he can see around corners. And so they all have these different, you know, um, benefits from eating these foods. Super baby Abigail, when she eats blueberries, she's super smart. And it's just a really fun way um, to teach kids about healthy eating. And what was so cute is when we, you know, would go into the classrooms and we would um, talk about the super crew and use the curriculum the kids, like, it wouldn't matter, like, what their their race or their age or their gender was. It didn't correlate to their favorite super crew character. And I just love that about it, you know, that um, it just, I, I just feel like they really kind of got the message of that, you know, healthy eating is fun and, and the super crew characters helped it. And then, so, you know, we have everything from, like, pregnancy nutrition all the way to, when you send your kid off to college, what they can make in the dorm. And so after about, um, I don't know, eight or nine years, um, I started thinking, wow, we, we really need to talk about cancer prevention and how it starts young because, you know, we teach kids to put on sunblock um, so that they don't get skin cancer. We tell them to look both ways when they cross the street, but we're really not teaching them from an early age that what they eat you know, especially the parents, teaching parents that, you know, what they feed their child at four, five, six, and seven impacts their genetic expression, you know, at, at any, anywhere in their adulthood. 
and, and even in their teens. I mean, there's research to show that, you know, obesity and overweight teens, it's correlated to colon cancer um, later in life. And so um, I launched with this program with the American Institute for Cancer Research to kind of raise awareness um, that, you know, making good nutrition fun and eating more plant-based um, can help prevent, you know, nearly uh, 50% of cancers later in life. It's an outstanding program. And I think the more that we move beyond this idea that if you're destined to get cancer, you're destined to get cancer, this is where programs like yours come into play. We have so much power over how our expression, our genetic expression is um, is uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The genetic expression. We have so much power over our genetic expression. And it does start with our lifestyle and especially with what we eat. So how do we get parents to get their kids into the kitchen? Are there actionable steps that you can share with us? Oh my gosh. First off, make it fun. Don't don't cook with your kids on a day you're totally stressed out or exhausted. I think that that's like the number one important message to tell parents. And I think the second thing is let go of any expectations, you know, mm-hmm. that, um, and then third, just embrace the messy kitchen. You know? Of course. So I think those things are important. Also really making sure that your child gets involved in, in figuring out and choosing together what recipe they want to make. And, you know, it's the parent's responsibility to kind of give some options that are healthy to begin with. So you're not, you know, the first thing they're not picking is like some, you know, brownie recipe that's loaded with sugar and white flour, right? Hey, you know, we're, I was looking at these recipes and you print them out and they're all healthy. Which one do you like? You don't have to emphasize that they're healthy, right? In the beginning, but you know, which one do you, are you excited about? Um, you know, if you have a child who's already, you know, a big fruit and veggie guru, then of course, um, you know, you can search online together. But sometimes, you know, offering choices up front is easier for a child than to choose um, one of the healthy options and feel more empowered by their choice. And then, you know, when you get in the kitchen, you got to get all the ingredients out first and make sure you didn't forget anything because that can be an additional stress. You know, getting the tools out and all the ingredients instead of doing it as you're cooking it just kind of really decreases that stress level. And it's something fun that's easy that a child can succeed at, you know, um, even at a younger age. And, you know, not getting frustrated if they didn't see, you know, the baking soda that's like in clear view, right, <laughs> right in front of the cabinet. Um, putting on some of your, your favorite tunes so that you're kind of like setting the mood. And, and don't be too ambitious. You know, pick something that's simple and easy to make, especially if you're cooking together for the first time. And this isn't about restriction, right? I mean, you don't want to send your kids to school uh, necessarily with something that's very restrictive and much different than everybody else's, so to speak. This is not about a restrictive um, piece of their of their nutrition plan. It's about embracing, is it not? Yeah. I mean, I would say it really depends too on where you're living. Like I I remember at my daughter's first school, you know, there was, you know, sadly like, um, oh my gosh, I forget what they're called. They're like hot flaming Cheetos and just, you know, kids would bring in like a ton of junk. So I, I don't think you have to meet the 
this, that, that low standard. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Enough. Like, I think that, you know, if 65% of Americans are overweight or obese, do we really want our kids to be eating what the majority is eating? Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying, you know, they should pack this kind of lunch that's at odds, at complete odds. You know, of course, you know, um, you can pack a cookie, but there should be the, you know, at least four food groups yeah. that are, that are healthy. Um, so I kind of, you know, if you have those conversations from your child is, from the time your child is young, um, it's definitely easier. But of course, you can make a healthy change at, at any point and in line. It's it's great when the kids start transitioning to the point where they're packing their own lunches. And I, I think that there are some amazing lunch boxes out there that are really helpful for the kids and divided into four spaces or five spaces that are really interesting and, and offer the kids an opportunity to express what they want to take. Oh, absolutely. I love the little bento boxes. I used to pack my daughter when she was young, um, frozen corn and frozen peas. And she would come home and she's like, mom, everybody wanted my, my peas and corn. And I'm like, you have to tell them that it's your lunch and you're hungry. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> and so one of the moms emailed me and she's like, I don't understand. My daughter keeps on saying she wants frozen corn and peas like Abby. And I pack it every day and then it comes home and she hasn't you know, ate it. And I said, you got to pack it frozen. And she goes, oh, I was like defrosting it. I said, no, they like to eat it really cold. That's why it's fun. Oh, that's an interesting one. I never thought of that. So going back. The vegetables. Even, <laughs> yeah, it is a great you way. Know, I mean, I've anytime, frozen... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, Melissa. I, I was just going to say, anytime you can vary, you know, the temperature, um, the texture, you know, the shape, the size, um, kids get more interested. Let's move farther back in childhood then. So you've got a new mom. Um, how can she start initiating a plant-based whole foods diet uh, at the beginning of the feeding, the feeding phase? So, I mean, really it's about not falling prey to all the, the marketing, you know, that they need this like white flour biscuit or, um, you know, that these are the normal foods to eat. Like, you know, you see these ridiculous birthday celebrations and the child's one and they're, and they're eating like, you know, food dye. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Just, there's just, it's like no reason for it. it, it I, I just think, you know, the more we normalize junk, the more kids want it all the time. Like mm -hmm. it's okay. You don't, you don't want to demonize it either. Right. But at the same time, does a one-year-old really need a traditional birthday cake? I mean, they, they really don't. I mean, you're doing that for yourself, not for a one, a one-year-old doesn't know the difference. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, you know, when they're older and they're, they're going to have cake, right? You don't, you don't have to make it this super healthy cake. I mean, kids can enjoy a variety of, of foods like even potato chips, you know, and, and desserts, but it's about making the bulk, you know, at least 80, 20 healthy. Um, ideally, if you can work up to 90, 10, that's even better. Um, and of course, you know, um, from an early, early age, don't use food as a reward. Mm -hmm. It really makes those foods just seem like gold to a child. So you'll see it like if you're quiet in the I'll give you a donut. You know, if you're good at church, you know, you can have some other kind of 
indulgent food. When you have those foods from an early age, they should just be foods to enjoy, not not as a reward. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It, no, it makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, I've made mistakes with, with food with my kids for sure. And there are expediencies that parents do, uh, you know, and then the, the crux of a moment. But I think, I think the, the message to plant here is the overall diet. And, you know, you've written a couple of books about this um, for athletes and exercise enthusiasts. How do you bring the whole, the whole picture together then? So the nutrition, the exercise, all of it, when you're talking to people if to, to present to them the most healthy lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, I always say, let's look where you're at right now and just build on it. You know, it, again, it doesn't have to be 100% plant-based. I mean, plant-based is, is more plant-forward. It can vary. You know, I mean, there are some people who um, are, I, like myself, I occasionally eat fish. I still consider myself eating a plant-based diet because it's majority of it is plant-based. I mean, the benefits are just tremendous. You know, with um, with the books you're referring to, it's a, um, I have a cookbook and I have a, a book for just everyday exercise and athletes to show that eating more plant-based really boosts those antioxidants in your diet, that the anti-inflammatory benefits are there. And then, of course, for people who are like running or, you know, having endurance events, you're definitely going to have a higher carbohydrate storage or glycogen storage in your muscles. So there's some competitive advantages mm-hmm. to that. But even just, you know, I find, you know, I'm not a competitive athlete. Um, I used to cycle a lot, but, um, you know, we're talking like 75, 100 miles, but not, um, not in competitions. And, you know, eating more plant-based, you just have higher energy. I mean, think about all the phytonutrients that you're getting that just even help with neural connections. I mean, your neurons are your basic working unit for your brain. And there's lots of research to show that phytonutrients enhance that communication. And your neurons, your brain is communicating with your whole body. So, and you're not getting those, if you're eating more whole plant-based foods, you know, if you're replacing that, you know, white bagel with um, a corn and polenta bread, which I just came up with, which was, uh, I'm sorry, it's polenta and sorghum mixed together. And it was like the best bread I've ever made. And, you know, something like that, you're not going to be getting that spaced out feeling that you can get with refined flour. So you're just, you just have more energy to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And then, you know, introducing those same plant-based foods with your kids. And that's where I have my, you know, my superfood books, which really kind of make it engaging and fun. And what's funny is I had a couple of grandparents tell me, oh, they bought the books for their their um, kids. And one specific grandmom said to me, oh, it's been really helpful. I'm using a lot of the points from the um, super crew uh, book with my husband. <laughs> because, because the messages are really simple and they're resonating and I'm finally getting him to eat more plant-based foods and I just cracked up I'm like they should, they should you know he should be reading it to the to the grandchildren right 
Well, you're knocking it out of the park with all ages, are you? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It's fun. I mean, I just think there's so much variety in taste. I mean, you know, if you think about something like meat, right? There's ribs, there's different a hamburger, there's different ways you can eat it. Well, the same thing with beans. I mean, you can eat it in a burger, you can have them in a salad, you can make them into a dip, they can be pureed into a soup. I mean, there's so many um, tasty varieties of whole grains. It's endless. I, you know, one month I might, you know, be on an amaranth kick. And the next month I'm like, wow, I need to re-explore sorghum. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's endless. It's endless. It's funny. Sorghum is not something that I've incorporated here at home. I don't know why. It's just not, I never see it on the shelves. Maybe, it's maybe I'm not. flower. Looking. That's so good. I really like the flower. So I recently, um, just as I like wanted pizza one day and I'm like, I'm going to mix pre-cooked polenta that like comes in a tube. I poured mm-hmm. some olive oil on it and nutritional geese. And then about, you know, half a cup of sorghum in this polenta mix. I mashed it all up with a fork and I made a couple little patties and cooked them in the pan. And then I was like, I wonder if this will taste good in the air fryer. And I cooked it hmm. in my air fryer and it was like deep dish Chicago pizza. Really? It was so good. Yeah, I have to make, I'm going to make a blog post on it just because um, it's just one of those recipes you're going to want to revisit. And then I just served it, if you do want to do 100% plant-based, which is what I did that day, is I caramelized a bunch of onions with olive oil, and then I blistered um, tomatoes and with a ton of fresh herbs in a cast iron pan, and then I put them over the um, patties. You know, I just love to talk to people who are creative. It just gives me so many ideas. It's wonderful. That sounds delish. Now, just before we come to the end of the show, uh, a big, a big thing that people are talking about now and what I see a lot of people asking and gravitating towards are immunity foods. Now, do you separate immunity boosting foods out of your plant-based and, and really focus on that? Or are you uh, more of the notion that a whole plant-based diet is the best? Because immunity is a big thing these days. Oh, no, absolutely. I love to talk about individual foods and their their benefits. Matter of fact, I just wrote a couple articles on um, immunity, and I'm going to pull them up so I can just, like, reread what I wrote. I have them right in front of me. But, um, I mean, of course, one of the things that um, I often recommend is ginger. And I don't really have a sweet tooth. I find if I do eat fruit at each meal, but sometimes I'll want a piece of chocolate and I'm like, I worry about, um, I, there's a lot of cadmium, which, you know, can increase your risk of um, kidney cancer in, in dark chocolate and cocos. And it's, it's actually hard to find a safe brand, you know, that, that doesn't have levels that, you know, are a little too high and it's cumulative, you know, it it has a long half-life. So sometimes instead of having my dark chocolate, which I love, you know, (laughs) I'll have um, crystallized ginger. So like unsulfured crystallized ginger. And sure, there's some sugar in there, but I don't really get much sugar in my diet. And ginger has tremendous, you know, um, immune boosting um, benefits. So definitely... Um, that's a food that I think, you know, stands out. Um, garlic, I mean, that's been kind of known for years. Mm-hmm. Um, it can even enhance certain effects of antibiotics um, to make them more beneficial. It has antibacterial and antiviral properties. So um, I cook a lot of garlic. Of course, you know, I also chew gum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, 
Yeah. And then foods that are rich in vitamin D are extremely, you know, important, especially now, you know, um, during COVID-19, we need to make sure if we're not getting adequate sun, um, that we're taking, you know, taking in foods that um, are high in vitamin D. Now for, um, it's, it's a little difficult to find mushrooms that are labeled with vitamin D. But if you can find them, mushrooms that have been exposed to UV light right after harvest have a ton of vitamin D. I mean, a half a cup can have, you know, over 350 international units. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely recommend mushrooms. And, you know, it's funny. Even if you don't think you like mushrooms, a lot of times it's how it's prepared. Because I make this, um, I, my daughter still eats some meat, and I, um, she loves uh, lean ground turkey. And I make her this um, mushroom ground turkey meat. And I wasn't hiding it from her, but, you know, when she was younger, she wasn't always watching me cook this one dish. And one day she had it, and she goes, Mom, the, this, you know, these turkey burgers aren't as, as good as usual. And I said, oh, honey, I, I, I didn't have any mushrooms in. And she goes, I hate mushrooms. There's <laughs> mushrooms in there. And so now she only, now she's, you know, 14, so she cooks a lot of the stuff herself. And, you know, she chops up the mushrooms with garlic, another immune-boosting food, with the soy sauce um, and balsamic vinegar. And it gives this umami flavor, and then you can add it into the meat. Now you can do the same thing, um, adding it into the beans, which also you know are going to have an immune boost because there's a lot of um, anthocyanins in there, which are powerful antioxidants. Um, yeah, so so mushrooms for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, bell peppers, you know, um, they can be higher in pesticides. So I will say when you can choose organic. You know, they're a vitamin C powerhouse. Um, so are kiwis. I mean, two kiwis have twice as much vitamin C um, as an orange. So, yeah. And then herbs. I mean, you know, if you look at the amount of antioxidants in herbs, I mean, even if it's if it hasn't been sitting on your in your pantry shelf forever, dried basil is loaded. I mean, two tablespoons of dried basil is going to have three times as much antioxidants as one cup of cooked carrots. So I'm always telling people, you know, for an immune boost, herb up your herb and spice up your meals. Like mm-hmm. keep a little uh, spice shaker on your on your table instead of a salt shaker, and then grow fresh herbs. I have a ton of fresh herbs because they're so easy to grow. I mean, oregano grows like weeds, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I just go outside and just grab them, and you can grow them in a pot. Um, you know, I have them in a big bed, and then I just add them to my food. So many tasty ways to get your immune boosted. It's, it's uh, you know, getting back into the kitchen is so important. And I do see trends that people are really trying to make a concerted effort to do that. And what you're doing, I think, is fantastic. And I love the program for kids. And I'd love to see studies about kids who start off in the kitchen eating plant-based. It'd be great to see long-term studies on that and uh, chronic disease and so forth. But uh, that takes time and it takes a lot of uh, a lot of effort. I understand that and funds. Yeah, I mean, there's a t- there's a lot of good research on um, type two diabetes and um, plant based eating. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm 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 always you know trying to get um, people with type two diabetes to eat more plant based. But I failed to mention you know the the name of the campaign is Healthy Kids Today Prevent Cancer Tomorrow, and you can find it you know both on Super Kids Nutrition. Um, dot com and also um, AICR.org. So definitely, um, I hope people will, will check it out and, and print out some of the activities and the curriculum and the, and the recipes and, you know, just start cooking with their kids. 
So important. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing all of your information and really inspiring uh, young parents with their young children in, in the kitchen. When the podcast comes up, so after our show has been aired and the podcast comes up, all your information will be there. So people will have it right at the tip of their fingers to, um, to go onto your site and learn more. So Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. You too. And everybody, we'll talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Hosted by Kathy Biasi here on Radio Maria Canada.